Hi, leaders. I am here today with one of my favorite people, Meredith King, and she is going to be a fabulous guest. And we want to talk to you today about the importance of being all in as a leader. And with our theme, All for Love, we want to talk to you today about what it means to love God with all your heart and how that really affects how we are effective as leaders. So Meredith, welcome to our podcast. We're so excited for you to be on Connections today. Oh, Sherry, it is just the highlight of my week to get to have this conversation with you. Awesome. I would just love for you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you are connected to MOPS. And then we're going to jump in uh, to talking about this very important subject of all for love. Oh, I do love getting to be a part of the MOPS family. Sherry, I was trying to remember how long ago it was that our friendship started. Was it three years ago with with the Thrive Online event? And I don't know if I've ever told you this. Feel free to edit this out if it doesn't belong. But um, when I got your emailed invitation to participate in Thrive, listing all of the other speakers you'd confirmed, I thought it was spam. I didn't think it was real. I thought some robot had hijacked your email and um, unintentionally sent me a message. And I'm so glad I decided to respond because on the other side of that message was you. (laughs) And you have become just the dearest friend. And so I think that was my first official um, relationship with Mops in this season of my life. Um, years ago, I was privileged to get to be a speaker at local MOPS groups, which was really fun. Um, but in recent years, I've had the joy of collaborating with you and the team on different articles and podcasts and different initiatives. And I care so deeply about the mission and purpose of MOPS. And I see the need um, for MOMs globally to have this common ground and sense of community. So it's a privilege to get to be a part of the Mops family. A little bit about my world. I'm a mama of two very energetic little girls. Today, those little girls are 10 and six. Yeah. And I've been married to my high school sweetheart for almost 15 years. It'll be 15 years in September. We live in South Texas where the humidity is not nice to my hair. And it is now hurricane season, which is not my favorite, <laughs> but, but I'm so grateful to be surrounded by good friends and family. I'm also a working mama. I am the executive director of an organization called Integris Leadership that equips and encourages ministry leaders across the U.S. and even internationally. I feel like we get this awesome front row seat to what God is doing um, in so many different communities and so many different cities and countries. And I also really enjoy writing. So I'm an author. I love getting to open scripture with people. So I get to do a little speaking from time to time. So that's me in a nutshell. Oh, and coffee is my constant companion, though I recently switched to decaf and I'm trying to decide how I feel about that. So there you go. Well, first of all, I love that you are part of our MOPS family and that you are a mom. And so you really get us, right? Like you understand what it means to be a leader and be a mom and all that that entails. 
but also I just love that um, when you talk that you encourage ministry leaders, you do that so exceptionally well. And that's what we want you to, to do today. We want you to encourage our leaders um, in their relationship with the Lord. And so as I mentioned earlier, all for love, that's what we're all about this year. And I want to read to you from the ESV version, our verse, because how are we going to make love our logo? That's what we're talking about this year. How do we have this great relationship with the Lord? And it stems from um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Now, when I read this, I think it's such a common verse that oftentimes we just are like, yeah, yeah, I've read that in the Bible or it's been at a wedding or whatever. And in actuality, I want you to even just kind of close your eyes and listen to what God's word says about love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Isn't that beautiful when we really listen and break that down, what love is about? And I don't know about you, but I think this world right now, this is such a timely message. We need love and we need to show love and as leaders, we need to love the people that God has placed in our life. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Like, how do we do that? Why should we do that? And then give us some practical ways in which we can show love as leaders. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Oh, fun. Well, Sherry, thank you for reading that passage. I think there's so much power as you were, um, reading, I had to open my eyes because I wanted to capture just some of the action words in that passage. And I didn't even get them all, but I got four that I think are pretty powerful. Um, Bears, bears all things, uh, believes, right? Believes the best, um, hopes and endures. I mean, I feel like we could just repeat those words, meditate on them and call it a day, because those are pretty good evidences of love being alive and active in our hearts. And, um, you know, sometimes I think we need to look at what's kind of between the lines. So if, if that's the evidence of God's love being fully aligned with our hearts and alive in our hearts, if that's the outcome, then maybe we look at are any of those things lacking in the degree to which they're lacking? Maybe that kind of gives us a little insight on where we might need to align ourselves with God's love. And I don't think that really has anything to do with a lengthy to-do list. I just think it has to do with syncing up our hearts with his syncing up our thoughts, our emotions, our lives with his purpose, his identity, his character, Um, his love for us, because the more we receive it, the more it's going to be overflowing. And so I think that's a pretty good uh, little litmus test. It's so funny. I mentioned I have a 10 year old daughter and um, everybody has different feelings about technology in our world right now. She's only allowed to use my husband's iPad when we're all home and we can, you know, see all of the things. Well, one of her friends um, did a little friendship quiz 
you know, and, and then I had the opportunity to explain to her about magazine quizzes, you know, from like when we were teenagers and just how ridiculous they were, you know, to find out if your boyfriend really loves you or, you know, what (laughs) you and I were Facebook quiz now, like, what is your, your most likely this actress or whatever those silly quizzes. My favorite is which Disney princess are you, right? I get a different one every time. So I, I know that they're not very statistically validated, but they're just pure entertainment, right? Um, I think this is a better quiz, (laughs) kind of like which one of these attributes are present in your life, right? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes, endures, um, never fails. You know, those, I think those are good indicators for us to go, okay, um, if, if there's something that's, that's lacking, or if I'm struggling in that arena, it's not up to me to conjure it up. I just go to the source of the one who has it. I don't have to like dig deep and produce it on my own. I just need to sync up my life with, with God, because he is love. And these are things that are true of his character, true of the way that he loves us. And with love being a fruit of the spirit, meaning an outcome of the spirit's work inside of us, I don't think it's up to us to love him or others well. I think it's a result. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a cause and effect relationship that comes uh, with being completely dependent on him and consistently connected. That is so good. Of Jesus's conversation with his disciples in John 15. Sherry, I love that passage because I think we just get this intimate view of his heart, of Jesus's heart right before he goes to the cross. I mean, these are the final moments where he's gathered his friends. And I don't know if you do this as a mom, but when I need my kids' attention, a lot of times I grab their faces. I just put my hands on their cheeks and I move their heads to face my, to face my, to face my face so that we're locking eyes because I want their full attention. Uh, Jesus didn't have enough hands to like grab each one of the disciples' faces, but I feel like it's that kind of moment where he's putting his hands on their cheeks and really dialing in their attention because he knew the cross was about to happen. And on the other side of the cross was his departure from this earthly relationship that he'd had. So he was preparing them to carry the gospel and the kingdom forward without his physical presence being with them in the way that they had known it before. And so they had learned to somewhat depend on him and relate to him with him being sitting across the table from them. But these are his instructions on how they foster a relationship with him that's alive and active and lasting when he's not sitting across the table. And so I think, I think that says so much about, I think this passage tells us a lot about what it looks like to go all in with our love and our dependence and our faith um, because he just, he, he repeats himself over and over. And there's this beautiful word, uh, it's abide. It's not a long word. It's not a complex word, but it's repeated 10 times in John 15, in the first half of John 15, abide in me and I in you abide in me and I in you. And there's this picture of us remaining desperately dependent and continuously connected to Jesus. 
Um, I learned those two phrases from my friend, Timothy Atik, who leads Breakaway, which is uh, a campus ministry, the largest college campus ministry in the United States. It's at the home of Texas A&M University here in uh, College Station, Texas, which is just a few hours from where I live. Um, And when I heard those two phrases, desperately dependent and continuously connected, that to me is the how, like that is the, that's the essence. And we can put some more skin on that here in a minute. But to me, when, when I think about going all in, I've got to acknowledge the fact that I'm desperately dependent on God and that I need to be continuously connected to him because he's where life is found. And Jesus uses this beautiful metaphor of the vine and the branches. And he makes this bold statement in John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. And that's a humbling reality because I think as women or maybe just as people, we like to be independent. We like to rely on our own strength. He goes on to make it really clear that his intention for us is to bear a lot of fruit, um, fruit that lasts, you know, not, not fruit that is going to rot easily or decay, but things that last, that's what he's after in our lives. But I think in that metaphor of him being the vine and us being the branch, that's, that's where all in starts. Because if we think about the purpose of a vine being life source, nutrients being pushed out to that branch, a branch disconnected from the vine, Sherry, it just becomes a dead stick. And it's not good for a whole lot. (laughs) Right. And I always love gardening metaphors because I'm a huge gardener, but it just makes sense. Um, A few years ago, I was able to go to Napa Valley with my husband on a work trip and we got to actually be in these um, huge wineries that had all of the different, you know, grapes and things. And you saw, uh, one accident that had happened was this truck had backed over this grape and it kind of fractured it, so to speak. And so because of that fracture, there was nothing that was able to get to that part and it became a dead stick and it became lots of dead sticks and they had to remove it completely. And then down at the very bottom was where it was connected to the graph. And it showed, he showed us the guy that was working the farm, how it grew out of that and then was producing fruit because of the part that was still connected. And I'll never forget that because as a believer, it was just this practical, like in my face, beautiful way for me to, to see in real life, that scripture that you just so beautifully pointed us to that without him, without that constant abiding and that connection, we won't bear fruit. We'll just become dead sticks. And I just will never forget that picture because I can still vividly see being up on the side of this mountain with um, what happens when we're not connected. We can't bear fruit. Absolutely. And, and I think that sometimes when we hear that and we hear, okay, so I need to abide. And then our mind goes to a to-do list more related to trying to produce fruit But the cause and effect really starts with abiding. The fruit production isn't our job. Our part is to stay connected to the vine. Mm. If we're connected to the vine, the fruit will happen. But it can't happen if we're not 
connected to the vine. Does that make sense? It's inevitable. If we're con continuously connected to the vine, fruit is inevitable, but it will not happen if we are not continuously connected. And I think Sherry in my own life, and I, I'm not going to put words in other people's mouths, but here's something that is very true for me. When my life and my heart are cluttered, it causes me to forget mm. how dependent I really am on God. Um, I, I forget the importance of being continuously connected. And it's like, I lose the awareness that at all times of every day, whether it's the best day or the worst day, the truth is I am desperately dependent on the Lord for life and hope and love and joy and peace and fruit and eternity, I'm completely lost if I am not continuously connected. I am 100% dependent on him for all things that are lasting. And when I forget that, then everything becomes a heavy burden because I start to confuse what's his responsibility and what's my responsibility. His part is bearing the fruit. My part is being connected to the vine. And I think that's really where abiding starts. Abiding, another way to translate it is the word remain or dwell. It's this, uh, it's this inability to separate, like it's this oneness of in togetherness. And we kind of see that theme of being one with the father and connected to Jesus and the vine and the branch all through Jesus's last conversation with the disciples, but I think there's some very practical ways. It's a good word abide. And like we nod our heads and we're like, okay, yes, I want to do more of that. But then the question is how, how do we actually abide? So that's what I want to get into is I want everybody that's listening today because the concept of abiding as a believer, as a leader, I think we all get that right? Like, oh, well, of course that makes sense. If I'm not connected to the Lord, how do I expect to be a good leader or to show love? However, you mentioned something that I think is really important. Oftentimes, because if you're a leader, you're very capable, you're a capable woman, you've got this, like, and you've been gifted, God's given you gifts. And so many times when we're not abiding, we tend to lean into our own strength and our own understandings. And then we forget the abiding part, even though our heart gets what we should be doing. So tell me, give me some practical things and ways in which we can abide. Well, now that I've confessed to you and every listener, my uh, tendency to be so forgetful about my, my true posture of dependence on the Lord, my the first thing that comes to my mind is just simply the discipline of remembering, mm -hmm. of remembering how dependent we are on the Lord. Uh, I know that not everybody is going to be able to see this, but like this, this phone, I'm holding up my cell phone for the people right. who can't see it. Um, if that's the first place I look when my day is starting, I'm likely going to forget uh, just how dependent on the Lord that I am. If I start my day with scrolling social media or checking my email or checking my DMs or whatever activity is pulling me in, text messages that I missed after I went to bed or whatever, if that's the first place that starts to consume my attention, it is harder for me to remember 
just how desperately dependent I am on the Lord. So starting my day with that reminder, I don't have a perfect record. I'm not even close. This is a real time uh, habit I am trying to build because when I wake up in the morning, Sherry, my natural mental state is a to-do list of all of the things that are waiting for me. That that's just where my mind goes. I, I don't try. It's not that I, I want to think that way. It just is. And so I'm having a battle right now with my mind to say, no, I'm not going to go there first. I'm going to sit in some quiet while the coffee's making. And I am going to intentionally remember and think about the fact that I am desperately dependent on the true vine, that I'm nothing without him, that he has everything that I need, uh, that all wisdom, all discernment that I need for my day, he has it, that he is good, that he is a good and righteous and powerful king, and that he's mine and that he loves me. I am really trying to change um, how I start my day so that I will remember just how dependent I am, because whether or not I remember doesn't change the truth of it. I am desperately dependent on him, but sometimes I forget. And well, so I think remembering is so important. That's a great practice. I had a, a mentor years ago that said to me, before you put your big toe on the floor, it doesn't have to be this long, you know, prayer and Bible reading and all the things that sometimes we feel like I didn't do that. So now I'm failing. Her whole point in sharing that with me was that you're not failing if you're acknowledging. So you're basically telling us, remember. And so before my big toe touches the ground, it's just like, thank you, God, that I'm here today and that I have breath and how can I bring honor and glory to you? Um, that's a good way to start. And because I'm also the same way, my mind is like working all the time. I'm in yeah. Enneagram three. So I'm constantly like, okay, and now we're going to do this because we have this ginormous goal that we've set. And so I have to talk myself first into like putting that first and remembering. So for me, it's the remember to thank God that I'm actually here and that I get to do any of those things. So remember, mm -hmm. number one. Yeah. And I would just say, when you start, you fail miserably a lot, but as soon as you remember to remember, that's when you can remember, right? So it may not be before you get out of bed. It may be an hour into your yeah. day, but, you know, ask the Holy spirit to help you to remember. We can do that. We can, um, we can ask him for help with that. And then as soon as you have the presence of mind to acknowledge your dependence on God, that's the perfect moment to do it. And, um, and I think that's a big thing. The other thing that really two other, I've got two other things, Sherry, that come to mind. The second thing is, is to stir our hearts affections for the Lord. Um, another way to say that would be to kind of fan the flame into existence. Okay. Fire needs fuel in order for it to burn. Um, you know, I think about the fact that in September, David and I are going to celebrate 15 years of marriage. How many, how many years have you and Rusty been married? 35. 35. And years. September, September 20th. Oh, we're so close. We're on the 16th. So we're just a few days apart. Love it. Fun celebrations. And so when I think about being married to David for 15 years, and then we had nine years of 
on and off togetherness prior to that. Cause remember we met young in high school. <laughs> we'll save all those drama stories for another conversation. That's a whole other podcast. Go ahead. There's plenty <laughs> of it. Um, but when I think about all of that togetherness, I think I knew David about as well as I possibly could the day that we got married. I mean, we had, we had experienced some beautiful highs, some devastating lows. We had walked a lot of miles and grown up together in a lot of really neat ways and a lot of really hard ways. And so I think, I think as much as we could, we knew each other and loved each other so much the day that we got married. But I, I think about our marriage now and I didn't know it was possible on our wedding day, but today I can confidently tell you that almost 15 years later, I love him so much more. And the reason is I know him so much more. I didn't even know that there were things that I didn't know or adventures or experiences that we would share that would strengthen the richness of our relationship. And those have not been all beautiful moments. Some of them were gut-wrenching and absolutely terrible that I didn't know if we would recover from, but here we are. And when I think about how that's happened, it's because we've intentionally moved toward one another over a long period of time. And we've done some things to fan the flame of our love and affection for one another. And because of that, the more that I know my husband, the more I know his character, the more I know his heart, his dreams, his desires, uh, the more I know him, the more I love him. And I think the same is true with God. And so when I think about being all in, uh, in our relationship with God, when I think about abiding, I think a lot of that has to do with just getting to know God and fanning the flames that are in our soul, stirring our hearts' affections toward the Lord. I think sometimes we, there was a there's songs and sayings that tell us love is a verb. It's all about doing the right things. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's wrong. I think love is a verb, but it's not just a verb, right? I think there's some things that have to do with our heart's intentions. I think sometimes we can do the right things for the wrong reasons and it doesn't produce the outcome that we want. And none of us like to be on the receiving end of that. None of us enjoy when somebody is doing the right thing and we know they're doing it for the wrong reason. It would be like, just imagine, this is totally fictitious. David would never do this, but let's just imagine that for our 15th anniversary, David made a dinner reservation at my very favorite restaurant that has all the gluten-free deliciousness that you can imagine with all the desserts that I absolutely love, made a reservation and we get there and sit down to dinner and I'm prepared for a long evening of meaningful conversation and all of my favorite foods. And David is checking his watch, not responding to my questions or maybe just with one word answers and is acting completely disinterested, tapping his hands on the table as if to say, can this just hurry up and be over? Eventually I have a strong enough personality to uh, address the problem. What in the world is going on? Why are you acting like this? And eventually I would ask the question, why are we even here? Right? Let's just go home because yes, you did a nice thing by making a reservation at my favorite restaurant, but you clearly didn't do it for the right reason. You're checking a box and I'm here for a relationship. And I think that as we consider 
fanning the flame in our hearts and stirring our hearts affections for the Lord. It's Sherry, it just has to be more than checking a box. I think that we, we need to be after the relationship. I totally agree with you. And let's, let's take it down even farther. So to fan the flame, Mm -hmm. how do you personally do that in your life? Like what are some ways like, or what do you do on a daily, weekly basis that would say, oh, this is helping grow my relationship? Because I agree with you. A lot of times we check the box and be like, oh, I said my prayer. Oh, I read this verse or whatever that is, but it's not the like invest in look you in the eye. Like you'd said earlier, I would tell my kids, look me in the eye so that they knew I meant business. Right. Well, I think God has to do that sometimes too. like, look me in the eye so that I can, we can do business. Yeah. So how do you do that? There's a couple things that, that are helpful to me personally. I'll list several. One is journaling. And so again, I'm prone to forget, right? I um, don't have a great memory at times. And so if, if there's a line in a worship song or a passage, a verse um, in a Bible reading or, or something from, you know, my mops group or whatever that just pings me, I'm going to write it down so that I'll remember it so that I can remember to like meditate on it instead of just letting it go in one ear and out the other ear. I think if stirring our heart's affections for God has to do with knowing him more, the more that we know him, the more that we'll love him. We have to do the things that help us get to know him. Right. And so uh, part of that is spending time in scripture. Part of that is spending time in prayer. Part of that is, you know, remembering our desperate dependence on him. Part of that is gathering with other believers to talk about who he is, right. And how he relates to our lives. Part of that is, cultivating intentional conversation uh, with other people, with friends and being a part of a local church. There's so many different ways. And I don't think it's one thing. I think um, going back to that personal relationship, whether it's with a friend or a spouse, it's not just doing one thing to get to know them. It's doing a lot of things kind of consistently over time that stir hearts, affections that help us know them and therefore love them more. Yeah, that's exactly. I was just wanting to really give them ways to think about, you know, doing that. And I think you hit the key it's consistency over time. So if we are praying and we are reading the, the Bible and we're doing Bible study together with other women and, um, I love worship music. It just reminds me so much of the power of the Holy spirit or that feeling of like listening to something and then praising God it's, but it's over time. Cause you can't just sing one song, read one verse, say one prayer, right. uh, really have a relationship, right? Like you didn't just decide to marry your husband because he said one nice thing to you or took you out for ice cream one time. And it was a fun date. Like it was this over time that you realized. And I, I think that's the same with, with the Lord. So fanning the flame, um, it's not a magic. It's not just one thing. It's consistency over time. So that, that's really good. Well, and I think quality of time does come through quantity to some degree. And that's what we're talking about. It's consistency over time. So I'm not saying Everybody needs to push pause and go have a three hour 
right. uh, scripture reading session. That's not what I'm saying, but I do think so much of it is being mindful that he's with us all the time, Sherry, like right now, the God of the universe is present with us. And we, when we start to become aware of that, it changes our dialogue. It changes our thought patterns. It, it helps us remember just how desperately dependent we are on him. There's a 17th century monk who wrote a book called practicing the presence of God, um, or the practice of the presence of God. And I don't know that he wrote it intending for it to be a book. I'm not exactly sure, but it was just kind of his rule of life. His name is brother Lawrence. He has a very interesting story. And in the monastery, are you familiar with him? Yes. I've read the book several times, actually. Isn't it so good? So good. It's, it's like a revisit. I have to revisit every couple of years. Because it just challenges me all over again. And so oh my goodness, it's stressful. So, yeah. so many good nuggets in there, but there's just this one little phrase that I've been thinking a lot about. And it simply says, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to use examples of being at the sink, washing all of the gross dishes. And what does it look like to practice the presence of God in the ordinary moments of our lives? And I think it starts with remembering that God is present with us mm-hmm. while I'm washing dishes, while I'm waiting in the carpool line, or, you know, while I'm, you know, taking my daughter to the pediatrician or when I'm leading a staff meeting or facilitating a Bible study, or, you know, when I'm pulling weeds out of my flower beds, which unlike you, Sherry, I don't garden well. So the weed example probably isn't a good one for me. I don't do that very often. I love to garden and I actually like to pull weeds, which is a weird thing. It's oddly satisfying to me, but (laughs) that's a whole other thing. Um, The whole brother Lawrence example, I think is so powerful because what he says, what resonated most with me in his writings were the exact is that it's all the things. And so if we want to be a good leader and we recognize the presence of God in all the things, it's not just about the day that is the mops day and you show up and you're up front and you're sharing all the great things about mops. It's the preparing for it. It's the, you know, vacuuming of the floor and picking up the muffin crumbs when the kids are gone. And it's, it's investing in those people and we can invest in people well when we invest in our relationship and realize that God is present always, 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 he's present always. And I think that just means that there's always purpose, uh, and that we don't have to conjure that up on our own. Uh, there's purpose because of his presence and his presence is consistent and, uh, and he's at work and we get to be a part of that. Okay. I want you to say that again. There's purpose. Mm-hmm. because of his presence. Yeah. There's purpose because of his presence. That that's like a mic drop. Well, I, it sounds a lot like freedom to me. Yeah. You know, because I think goodness, Sherry, I think there's this weird pressure. I've had so many college students crying in my office over the years, trying to figure out what their calling is and what the purpose of their life is. What's so interesting in Jesus's last conversation with his disciples 
in John. It actually starts in John chapter 14 and goes all the way through John 17, where he Jesus prays for them, for us, for all the believers who were to come. And he prays for himself too, as he's getting ready to go to the cross. But it's a long conversation and not a single time does he address their occupation. Not one time. Mm. Wow. But he does address their purpose, uh, which has everything to do with him and the life that is found in him and the life that will be extended from him through them to the world that doesn't know him yet. Uh, but he doesn't address their occupation at all. And I think when we get hung up on comparing what I do and what she does and am I doing the right things when the focus is on doing we miss it because we're human beings. We're not human doings. And so much of what it looks like to, to produce fruit that lasts has to do with abiding, not doing. And that's, that's hard for us, but there is purpose because of his presence. And because of his presence, we are engaging. We have the option, the invitation to engage in his purpose, which is so much bigger than anything that we could bring to the table by ourselves. And it makes the meaningful days even more meaningful. And it makes the mundane days full of purpose. I love that. And, you know, when you think about being all in and loving people well as leaders, Mm -hmm. and if we go and we're fanning this flame, how, how do you think that would change your leadership today? I'm going to ask you a two, a twofold question here. How would that change your leadership today? And then how would that change the legacy that you will leave as a leader? Because we all in life and in our leadership roles, we all will leave a legacy. And what will yours be? It will be something. Mm-hmm. And I would hope and pray that mine is centered on showing the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. So if we're all in, how would that affect today? And how would that affect your legacy? You know, I think being all in impacts our leadership in pretty significant ways because it's going to reorient our attention completely. There's a big difference between productivity and fruitfulness. Uh, Sherry, I, the Holy Spirit has confronted me with the reality, I too am in Enneagram 3, that I can be very productive and not fruitful. Mm-hmm. Because I can be busy and consumed and checking a thousand things off of a list. But if I'm not abiding, that's not lasting fruit. Um, The lasting fruit that Jesus goes on to describe in John 15 has to do with an active prayer life, an obedient love, inexhaustible joy, sacrificial love, right? We know the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5 the outcome of the spirit's work in us, of us being desperately dependent on the vine, continuously connected to the vine, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things that the world offers a shadow of, but he offers in completion Um, and uh, in an unending supernatural supply because they're aspects of his character, the Holy Spirit starts to produce in us. And so, you know, I think that when we are all in, it completely changes our orientation, our, 
our view goes from achieving to abiding in leadership. I think it goes from a micro level to a macro level. The instead of being so consumed with um, task lists or to do's or even comparing my lane to her lane, uh, then we, we're going to have an eternal perspective. I think for some of us going all in, Sherry, it's going to cause us to to get off the bench. <laughs> There's some of us who need to actually engage a little more in our leadership roles than maybe maybe we've been on autopilot. And when we are all in, we realize that everything that we do is being done as unto the Lord. If he's consistently present, then we've got to engage in the moment and be dialed in to what he's doing I was reading some statistics they are up on my wall at the moment because of some fun projects that I am working on. Um, 69% of American workers are disengaged from their work, meaning they show up to punch a clock, right? That's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, that's the vast majority. That leaves a very small percentage of American uh, workers who show up with their head, heart, and hands ready to engage. That disengaged population includes a subset. I call them terrorists. They're people who are actively disengaged, like they're unhappy and they're trying to bring other people down with them. Right. (laughs) But I think, I think the vast majority of us can identify and even look back in our lives and our leadership lives, or maybe in the present and acknowledge that we've had autopilot moments where we just aren't engaged. And I think when we're all in with him, then we're going to be all in in stewarding the opportunities to lead that he's given us. And so for some of us, I think it's going to cause us to dial up our intentionality a little bit. I think for every leader, it's going to change our priorities. I think that we're going to find freedom from the culture of hustle and the temptation of more. And I think that we're going to start to value not only the work we get to do as leaders and the opportunities that we have as leaders, but we're going to start to believe that rest is a worthy investment because no tree bears fruit year round, right? No tree bears fruit year round. And you can't have the fruit bearing season without the season of rest. And so I think when we are all in, I think our orientation, where our attention is changes. I think for some of us, it's going to cause us to dial in a little more and engage at a higher level. And I think for all of us, it's going to shift our priorities. So those are my thoughts on how being all in impacts our leadership. And then when I think about legacy, again, I think it means that we are free from comparison. Mm. We are free and enthusiastic about running in the lane that God has marked out for us. And we find great joy in cheering other people on. Um, I think comparison is the thief of joy. And when I think about the best leaders who've invested in my life, Sherry, and I've, boy, I've been privileged to work with some outstanding leaders and have them as mentors or supervisors or whatever the case may be. And I think about the legacy they're living because you don't get to leave one unless you live one, 
right? You don't get to the end of your life and declare, I am going to leave a legacy. A legacy is a collection that's built one day at a time, right? That, uh, that doesn't happen in an instant. People leave a legacy because they lived it. And those people that I hold in such high regard, look at those around them and ask the question every day, how can I call out the best in them? Mm. How can I invest uh, in the in the people that God has put inside of my sphere of influence, but not just for selfish gain, but to help them become all that God created them to be? It frees us up to serve and to put others' needs and opportunities for them out in front and to do it from a place of joy and freedom, not a scarcity mentality that would cause us to withhold. Uh, But to me, when we are all in a leadership legacy um, has everything to do with being one that joyfully and relentlessly calls out the best in others. Mm. Well, that's incredible. And I think that's a good place for us to, uh, to end on this note of legacy. And I think it's the intentional part and um, the things that you talked about today about intentionally remember recalling that why, why are we here? Why did God love us so much that we are called to love others? That's, that's the big thing, right? He says, love me and, and love others. And we, we complicate it so much. And I think just this intentionality of remembering, of fanning the flame of what you just said, if you're calling out the best in other people and not worrying about how great the other person is doing and you're not, that comparison thing is nuts. And that's just a whole nother uh, mess that I always try and tell leaders, this is not, you do not need to worry what she's doing. You need to cheer her on. And when you cheer her on, she will cheer you on. And then pretty soon we have this worldwide global sisterhood called MOPS and we're all cheering each other on, right? But leaders have to intentionally invest. And we want you so much to invest in your relationship with the Lord first. And from that, from that abiding, we will see a lot of fruit and we are seeing fruit. And you know what? I think we're going to rejoice so much at the end of the year when we start seeing all this fruit just dropping off the trees because of the investment that our leaders have made now. So thank you for investing in our leaders, Meredith. And thank you for your wise words today. Just a beautiful, beautiful uh, message that you gave. I really appreciate you. It's so fun to, to get to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, ladies, you had the privilege of listening to my talk today with Meredith King. Uh, We love you, Meredith. Check Meredith out on all of your socials. Will you please tell us the name of your book and where they can find it? Because I think it is fantastic. Sure. The book is called Immovable Reflections to Build Your Life in Faith on Solid Ground. And so you can find that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, all those good places. And uh, you can also find me at MeredithKingBlog.com. And my favorite social media is Instagram. Me too. That's where we get to see each other quite a bit. So thanks for joining us, Meredith and leaders. We love you and we are all in. We look forward to this year where we're doing that together. All in, all for love.